0: Well, it never fails. You sit and you hear talk about the north and about the south. And going to south, they talk about the north, and you come up north, and they talk about the south. That's how it, how it goes. You would think that war ended yesterday. <laughs> but, <laughs> this man was down down uh, in Georgia, and he's driving along the road, and he saw this little boy and this 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 bulldog pit bulldog had a hold of that boy, he just tearing him all to pieces. And that man pulled his car over, jumped out of that car, went over there, and he couldn't get the dog to quit. He finally, he finally had to just got his that dog in a chokehold, strangle hold. He had to to end that dog's life, rescue that boy. Well newspaper man was driving by. The very time that happened, he watched the whole thing. He ran over there. He said, Sir, that's the most heroic thing I've ever seen. I'm going to write about that tomorrow's newspaper. It's going to say, Macon Man Saves Boy. He said, Well, sir, I, I, I'm not from Macon. He said, That, that doesn't matter. The headline's going to say, Georgia Man Saves Child. He said, Well, sir, actually, I'm from Michigan. Next day, the headline in the newspaper said, Deranged Yankee Kills Family Pet. <laughs> That's that's how that thing goes, you know. People can't get over it. All right, we have three starting places tonight. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Micah chapter 5. Thank you, brother. Is that in the name of a prophet? Good. 1 Timothy 3. Micah chapter 5. And Job chapter 9, 1st Timothy 3, Micah 5, Job chapter 9. We'll read the first of these verses, then we'll pray together. The Bible says in 1st Timothy 3 verse 16, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. He was manifest in the flesh. Is that good enough for you? How about God was manifest in the flesh? See, the modern versions say He was manifest in the flesh. That's no big deal. Everybody here tonight's is manifest in the flesh. But for God to be manifest in the flesh, that's great mystery. Greatest right mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Now, all of that has to do with Christ Jesus in His humanity. Look, look where it starts. Begins with God manifest in the flesh. It ends with received up into glory. So, from the time Jesus Christ came forth from Mary's womb, In that body prepared for him, the Holy Spirit watched and observed and declared that all his words, all his works, all his ways, all his thoughts were righteous. There's never been a man, there's never been a man from Adam to, to the day Jesus Christ set foot on this earth that God the Holy Spirit could observe that life and justify it. Declare that's a righteous life. He's seen of angels. They're watching. They're watching. They've, they, they're, their kind fell. Satan got them. Mankind fell. Satan got them. Jesus Christ came into this world. Devil threw at him everything he had. Everything he had. Those angels watched. He didn't fall. He didn't fall. Bible says he's preaching on the Gentiles. He didn't come to uh, further Judaism. He didn't come to fine-tune the religion of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He came to be a Savior of all men everywhere. Light to the Gentiles. Believed on in the world. And they did. Greeks came seeking after him. Remember that? Syrophoenician woman came seeking after him. Uh, Samaritan woman. Believed on in the world. And then, when it was all done, received up into glory. Now, here's what's important. And we'll, we'll, we'll develop this as we go through tonight. God was manifest in the flesh. Amen. And as God manifest in the flesh, He was received up into glory. Just want you to think about that, hang on to that. Our God, Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost, these three are one. Our God was manifest... That is, became visible, observable, you could touch him, you could shake his hand, you put your arm around his shoulder, John could lean upon his bosom. Our God became manifest in the flesh. When, when God became man, he didn't cease being God. He wasn't God, then man, then back to God again. When he became man, he didn't cease to be God. But here's what I want you to think about tonight. When He ascended back to heaven, when He returned to glory, He didn't cease being man. When He became man, He didn't stop being God. When He went back to glory, He didn't stop being man. And that's very important for you tonight. And I hope by, by God's help, by God's grace, you'll see that forward through this evening. Let's pray. Father, help me tonight to tell the truth. Help me to make it clear, plain understandable lord don't 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 let me mislead anyone for half a second please lord help us to receive the truth and to rejoice in the truth we pray in jesus name amen now if 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 i said to you tonight god god is so great how great thou art we sang tonight if if you don't understand king james english that's like saying how great you are You know, it's not that difficult. If you don't know all the these and the thous, you can figure it out pretty quick. How great thou art. It couldn't have mean he went to the grocery store. And you, you, you can catch on. But if we say God is so great that when he stretched out the heavens. he's got In his two hands, he just goes like this, stretch out the heavens. Somehow we can kind of understand God is that big. If we say that He measured the waters in the, in the hollow of His hand, that, that He just threw oceans out there like, like you just sprinkle water here and there, somehow we can comprehend a God that powerful and that mighty. But it's hard for us to understand God being so small as to move into a little infant's body in the womb of a virgin girl in Bethlehem. But if if God is almighty, He can be bigger than His creation. And He can fit inside the nucleus of a single atom if He chose to, because He's God. Somehow our minds, God being bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, we get that. But God being smaller and smaller and smaller, it's hard for us to understand that. And yet, as as... Great a mystery as God the Son taking up residence in a body prepared in Mary's womb? That that seems so mysterious to us. We don't question God the Holy Spirit living in our body. Hasn't God come to live inside you? in the person of his, of his Holy Spirit? Has not the Comforter come to, to take up residence in our vessels of, of, of clay? So God, this great mystery, but God became so small that God placed upon Himself the limitations of a human body. He's not everywhere. He's in that body. He's not in all places in one time. He's in that body. He's not sitting out there higher than the heavens looking down upon His creation. He's in that body. That's a great mystery. But it happened. Looking in the Bible in Micah, chapter number 5, Old Testament book of Micah. Micah, the fifth chapter. You see, when He did that, He had to do that so He could die to pay for our sins. I believe that. We saw that last night. But... Having died and paid for our sins, the reason why He was manifest in the flesh would be complete if that's the only reason He became man. But there's more to it than that. Micah chapter 5 verse number 2 says this, But thou Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Several cities named Bethlehem. So the prophet identified which one. Where are you from? Columbus. There are a lot of Columbuses. What town do you live in? Washington. Which Washington? Okay, so so the Lord, 700, 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, not only said Bethlehem, that's a stretch, yeah. name in the town. It'd be one thing just say a virgin is going to have a child. But to say a virgin in that town, and then not just name a town, but name the the county so you know exactly which Bethlehem he's talking about? This isn't some prophet taking a shot in the dark. This is God promising, telling ahead of time just exactly what he'd do. Thou Bethlehem, Epheta, though thou be little among a thousand Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me he that is to be ruler in Israel. Okay, future tense, when, when Micah speaks, shall come forth, future That is to be future ruler in Israel. But watch. Whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. You see that? Before there was time, this one who came to Bethlehem was there before He made the sun and the moon and the stars so you could count days and weeks and months and years, He existed. From everlasting to everlasting thou art God. And the everlasting God came to Bethlehem, not on a great white horse with a sword in His hand and fire out of His mouth, but in a body, in a womb, and He was born just like you were born. That's the great mystery of godliness. Look, that God could ride on a a white horse with wings, Psalm 18. You can look that up when you get home tonight. That God could ride on a white horse and come down here in Revelation 19 and subdue the nations and destroy His enemies in Armageddon and take the throne and sit in Jerusalem and rule and reign over... I get that. That's, That's no great mystery to me. The only mystery to me is why he lets a single man rule a single square foot of this earth for one day. Amen. But that God could conquer and rule and, and have dominion, that's no great mystery. But that He's laying there in a cradle and that woman has to take Him in her arms and hold Him to her bosom and feed Him so He doesn't starve... That's God. That's a great mystery. That God is standing there by the coffee table, taking His first steps. That's a great mystery. That it's time for God to take His afternoon nap. Come on now. It's easier for you to believe He made all things in six days... Then for you to wrap your brain around God having to eat lunch because he's hungry. Amen. But he was manifest in the flesh. We're not talking about Greek or Roman mythology or Norse legend where the gods came down and visited earth. We're talking about the fact that the, that the everlasting God right. became While He's still 100% God, He became 100% man. That's a mysterious thing. That's really hard to comprehend. Now, why'd He do that? Job chapter number 9. Job chapter 9. This is our starting place. All that was just introduction. That wasn't the start. So that's all free. Job 9. Verse 30, Job's had a bad week. Unless you just got saved, you you know Job's had a rough time of it. He lost everything he had. So he didn't lose his wife. I said he lost everything he had. (laughs) She wasn't much help. Buried ten children. Rich man lost all his property. Wife said, don't you curse God and die couldn't handle it. Friends came, (laughs) then things really got bad. You know, you ever got a friend going through a hard time? Do what Job's friends did when they got there. Just sit there. They were doing good until they started talking. They started telling, giving Job all their words of wisdom, all their revelations and all that. Then it got really bad. So Job's sitting there on an ash heap, scraping himself with a potsherd, wishing he could die, wondering what he did wrong, trying to figure out how he offended God. Here's what he said, Job 9.30. If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch and mine own clothes shall abhor me. His friends are coming saying, Job, you must have done something wrong. God's punishing you. Job, there must be some sin in your life and God's out to get you. He said, there must be, but I don't know what it is. Job, there's got to be some wickedness, some unrighteousness that you need, you need to repent of. He said, if I if I could, I would. If if God had told me why He's angry with me, I I, I would repent. But, gentlemen, you've got to know something. If I caught Snow as it fell from God's heaven in my hands. And I melted that snow before it ever touched the ground. And I washed my face with it. And I washed my hands with it. If I made myself as clean as I was the day I was born, it wouldn't be clean enough to satisfy God. I could not be holy As he demands, I could not be righteous as he demands. I could not be pure as he demands. He would look at me when I had made myself as clean as a man can make himself. And he would abhor me and plunge me in a ditch. I'm hopeless. What the Bible said, Job was an upright man. Perfect in his ways. He feared God. He eschewed evil. So what's that mean? He got close to him. He said, shoo, shoo. It's not what it means, but it's close. (laughs) (laughs) He's not a wicked man. He's not a dirty man. He's not a rotten man. He's not a vile man. He's not an idolater. God said to the devil, look at that man. That's the best man I got. What do you think of him? But Job understood this. I cannot make myself clean enough for God to justify me, for God to declare that I'm righteous. Tonight, if you're here and you've never been saved, you probably don't even know what we mean we say saved. Here's what we mean. After you have been christened and catechized, and confirmed, and baptized, and joined, and after you've quit doing this, and quit doing that, and started doing something, and started doing something else, on your very best day, you're dirty compared to God. If you have performed every religion to, and all of its fine points, as no man or no woman has ever performed those religions, when you have done all that a man can do, if you stop all your sinning and start all your good deeds and just pile them up till they look like the Tower of Babel, all your righteousnesses compared to God are as filthy rags. Job said, I've lived as good as I can live, and God's thrown me in a ditch. I've been a perfect man. God's thrown me in a ditch. I've been an upright man. God's thrown me in a ditch. I've I've feared God and eschewed evil. He's thrown me in a ditch. I'm dirty, fellas. I'm dirty. And I don't know how to get clean. Keep reading. Bible says in verse number 32, what's his problem? For he is not a man as I am. That I should answer him... And we should come together in judgment. Now, I'm going to offend some of you, and I don't want to, I don't mean to. I didn't come all this way to hurt your feelings. But I want you to understand. When your little Fifi, when you get home tonight, and your little Fifi greets you at the door and looks up with her tongue hanging out the side of her mouth and wags her tail, and you say, Hello, Fifi, how you doing? Did you miss me? Have you been a good girl? Fifi doesn't have a clue what you're saying. (laughs) She doesn't have the slightest idea. Fifi can sit in your lap tonight while you watch the news and will never find Libya on a map. (laughs) Fifi doesn't care if you call it a tsunami or a tidal wave. It's a tidal wave in my book. I'm just old. Fifi doesn't care. You can try to explain it to Fifi. Fifi's not going to get it. Why? Fifi is of a different nature altogether than you are. Fifi can vaguely understand that you have some love for her and we don't want to go there. <laughs> Fifi can vaguely understand when you're angry with her for not waiting till you got home. And Fifi kind of instinctively knows that her food and shelter comes from you, that's it. And you cannot communicate with Fifi beyond that because you don't have the same nature. There are probably times when Fifi thinks you're being a real jerk, but she can't tell you. There's probably times when Fifi would like to warn you about your breath, but has no way of doing so. Why? Entirely different nature. Now, I want you, and I'm not trying to be cute. I'm trying to help you understand something. From Adam to Jesus Christ, men knew that God got angry. Men knew that God had love for them, and men vaguely, kind of, instinctively knew that their food and protection and shelter came from God. But beyond that, He could not communicate with man. They are of an entirely different nature. You say, "Well, didn't He didn't He uh, speak to men back in Old Testament times?" Yeah. One every three or four hundred years. That's not much. You say, well, didn't he give his law and writing on tables of stones? Yeah, but before he did that, he found the smallest, most insignificant people on the face of the earth, called them out into a wilderness and said, don't have anything to do with anybody else. Now, here's my word. You know what God said on tables of stone to China? Nothing. To Russia, nothing. To Africa, nothing. To North and South America, nothing. To Europe, nothing. And the Jews didn't help. The only part of the law they, they really took to heart was, we're not going to give this to anybody else. So for 4,000 years, when a man went to a gravesite and buried his children and looked up and said, God, why? Nothing. For 4,000 years when the devil beat a man's brains and he'd sit down on an ash heap and say, God, what did I do? Nothing. When a man needed comfort, when a man needed assurance, when a man needed help, when a man needed a friend, God was literally on the other side of the universe. You know what Job said? He's not lying. He's not exaggerating. He said, he is not a man as I am that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. God can't minister to me and I can't enter his presence and plead with him. Sitting here all by myself, guessing, wondering. Just doing the best I can. That's what he said. Now look down at verse number 33. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Job said, what I really need, guys, is not you. What I need is somebody who's man, so he can communicate with me, but who's also God, so he can communicate with God. And then God, through him, could... Fellowship with me, and I, through him, could fellowship with God, then we could have a relationship. But verse 33, or 34, let him take his rod away from me, and let not his fear terrify me. Then would I speak and not fear him. Hey, look, just, just try in your mind. It's hard for us. We got a New Testament. It's hard for us. We've been in church, you know, all of our lives, in a Bible church, all of our lives. It's hard for us. But think for a minute. If you were a North American 2,500 years ago, all you would know about God was the flood. All we know is somewhere out there is a supreme being who drowned everybody that didn't get in the boat. That's not much. You know what Job said? I've feared God. I've served God. I've been perfect before God. I've tried to live according to. He couldn't even live according to commandments. He didn't have any. He said, "I've tried my best." To honor my Creator. I've tried my best to live in righteousness and holiness before Him. But I'm telling you something, fellas. I'm scared of Him. I've done my best and He's put His rod on me. I've done my best. He's broken my back. I've done my best. He's kicked me to the curb. And I can't get in touch with Him to even find out what I did wrong. How about those Hebrew people? Now... You're a Gentile. Okay? You're a Gentile. So you might be an Egyptian. You might be a Canaanite. You might be a Philistine. You might be a Midianite. You might be a Syrian. You might be a Babylonian. Based on your experience in the history of your nation, who is God? He's somebody who wants you dead. He's somebody who sends his people across your borders to wipe you out. I know it's a, wait a minute, that can't be. Come on, think about it. If you're you're a Samaritan woman, you know what you think? Your God told you not to even talk to me. Isn't that what she said? Why? What are you doing talking to me? The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Well, who are the Jews? They're God's chosen people. They've got the oracles. They've got the law. They've got the commandments. God spoke to them. What did He say? Don't eat with the Gentiles. Don't marry the Gentiles. Don't live with the Gentiles. Don't talk to the Gentiles. Gentiles, bad, bad, bad. Stay away from Gentiles. That's something about. Now, the Jews, God's chosen people, right? Right? What do you give them? A priesthood, a temple, an altar, sacrifices, right? So, and I, I, look, I'm not, I'm not blaspheming. I'm just trying to help you picture this thing in your mind. What did the average Jew with the scriptures know about God? Here's a thousand rules. You better keep them all, or you're not getting any rain. You better keep them all or I'm going to put the botch of Egypt on you and you don't even want to know what that is. Isn't that right? Well, let's go worship God. What do we do? we got to kill something. we got to kill a bullock or we've got to kill a sheep or we've got to kill a ram or we've got to kill a turtle dove and we've got to splash blood everywhere and we've got to burn body parts. And if we don't, God's going to wipe us out. Now, you and I know there's more in the Old Testament than that. You know why? Because we've got an Old Testament, and we've got the light of the gospel to shine in that Old Testament and see all kinds of wonderful, beautiful things. But you just go back and look at that for what it was for the average man living in a tent in Judea 3,000 years ago. It was kill something or be killed. Job said, I've served God. I've lived for God. I've offered sacrifice for my children. I've prayed. I've walked in the integrity of my conscience before the Lord. And He and I'm scared of Him. I'm afraid of Him. That's an amazing thing. Hey, you know what happened out there at Bethlehem's manger? God came down here so you could find out who He really is. He came down here so you could see His heart and see His love and see His grace and see His mercy. And by the time He went back up to heaven, He said, no more sacrifices, no more killing, no more blood, no more offerings, no more plagues, no more judgments. You go tell that world I so love them that I gave my only begotten son and we'll have no more sacrifice. Job said, Look at look at the passage. Let him take his rod away from me, and let him not let not his fear terrify me. Then would I speak and not fear him? But it is not so with me. He said, I can't get clean. I can't talk to God. And I can't do anything but be afraid of him. You know who that was? That's not Nebuchadnezzar. That's not Pharaoh. That is a perfect man who feared God and eschewed evil. He said, I can't get clean. I can't fellowship with God. And I'm afraid of him. Aren't you glad God was manifest in the flesh? Now, turn your Bible, keep, keep Job, somehow just mark that place. Turn your Bible to Hebrews chapter number 5. Hebrews chapter number 5. I'm going to say something that's going to sound completely wrong, and then I'll show you that it's right. But I'll give you a chance first to just say, Oh, that isn't right, but it is. Jesus Christ is God. You believe that? I believe that. You believe He's, he's everlasting? Micah 5, 2. I believe that. Amen. You believe that? When God came to this earth and took upon Him a body of flesh, there were many things He did not know when He got here that He knew when He was received up into glory 33 and a half years later. Now, doesn't that just sound wrong? Doesn't, it, doesn't, just, doesn't something inside you just draw back and say, no, wait a minute, how dare you say God didn't know everything? How dare you say God came down here? and that, that is what it said. And I want you to look at these passages with me. Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 6. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek who in the days of His flesh, okay, this is Jesus Christ, right? Verse 5, So Christ also glorified not Himself, be made a high priest, who in the days of His flesh, when He had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto Him that was able to save Him from death and was heard in that He feared. Can I ask you a question? Have you read the 50 chapters of Genesis? Where in those chapters was God afraid? That's a human emotion. In the 40 chapters of Exodus, show me the place where God feared. You read the histories? Samuel, Kings, Chronicles. Some bad kings, some powerful rulers, some wicked monarchs, some mighty armies. When did God fear? You know what the Bible says? It says the man Christ Jesus is kneeling in the garden of Gethsemane looking at a cup. Some say it had the sins of the whole world in it. Some said it had the wrath of God in it. You can argue that all day if you want to. All I know is Jesus Christ the man looked at that cup and was strong crying and tears and sweat that became great drops of blood, He begged His Father to take that cup away. God looked at Egypt's mighty army and didn't bat an eye. He looked at the waters of the Red Sea and said, that's no problem for me. That God, the God that brought Hebrew children through a fiery furnace, the God that took down Goliath with a single stone, that God is kneeling in a body of flesh in that garden and with strong crying and tears God the Father heard, God the Son, and He feared. You ever been afraid? Job was afraid. And the God that Job called upon when he was afraid knew nothing of Job's fear. Job said, I don't have a God. I don't have a God who's been through this. Keep reading. Verse number number 8, Though he were a son... Yet learned he, you see the capital S on Son, you know who we're talking about? We're talking about the Son of God, Jesus Christ. You know what it just said? Yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. God gave that law. I'm I'm not not being disrespectful. Before we're through tonight, I'm I'm, I'm helping you and I'm honoring God. It's just going to take a while to, to, to show you that. When God took His finger and wrote on those tables of stone and said, don't do this, don't do that, don't touch this, don't touch that. When God wrote those psalms and said, with all thy heart, with a pure heart, with a clean heart, with a right heart. He gave all those commandments to man. He had never been a man with all those commandments upon Him. You already found out? If I obey my father, people I love are going to lie about me. If I obey my father, people I care deeply about are going to say I'm illegitimate and accuse my mother of being trash. If I, if I obey my father, my best friend, one of my best friends is going to betray me. Another is going to curse and swear and say he never knew me. They're going to break my heart. They're going to stab me in the back. If I obey my father, I'm gonna have fists punch me in the face. I'm gonna have fingers rip my beard out by the listen, it's a body of human flesh that hurt the blows and the spittings of sinners. I ask you, I'm not I'm I'm being I'm being as as sincere as I can be. Ezekiel's God. Jeremiah's God, Daniel's God, Samuel's God. He had watched men bru- be bruised. He had watched men be beaten. He had never felt that. He has now. He has now. Job sitting on that ash heap. He said, "I, I, I've got a God." But he does not know how bad my body hurts. You do. You do. Job said, if I tried to communicate this to God, he wouldn't know what I was saying. And if he tried to comfort me, how could he comfort me? I'd just say, you don't know what you're talking about. Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh. The Bible said He learned obedience by the things which He suffered. Keep reading. And being made perfect. Not sinless. He never sinned. Perfect in your Bible. You know what it means? It means complete, whole, entire, f- f- a finished product. Now doesn't it, doesn't it sound, if I just made this, doesn't it sound blasphemy to say when God was manifest in the flesh, he was not yet perfect? Me, what, what, look what's he saying. When he went back to heaven, he was a bigger God. He was a more sufficient God than he was when he got here. You don't have to say amen. I know you're, you, you just can't wait to get the pastor in the hall and ask if he agrees with this. You, you, you sure about that? But I, I, come on, stay with me now. Stay with me. Look in, look in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 6. certain place testified saying, What is man? What is man? Thou art mindful of him. Verse number 9. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Come back to verse 7. What is man? Verse 6. What is man? Verse 7. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Alright, who's a little lower than the angels? Man. Verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. What is that? That's God manifest in the flesh. Jesus Christ became man. Okay. We see Jesus, who's made a little lord of the angels, for the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death. For every man. You believe that? Look, he didn't just die, he tasted death. He's experienced man's greatest fear, his greatest obstacle. For 4,000 years, God watched men die because of their sins. He'd never been through that circumstance. He has now. He has now. Now, watch watch carefully, verse 10. For it became him... For whom are all things? See, God, and by whom are all things? See that He's God, in bringing many sons to glory. Watch carefully, to make to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. That's an amazing thing. Look up here in Isaiah 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45. Those are great chapters. God sits up here in heaven. He looks around. He said, any uh, other God up here? I don't see one. I guess I'm it. He looked out. He, he looked out. He said, if I needed anything, I wouldn't tell you. I'm the all sufficient one. I'm almighty God. Isn't that right? In John chapter 4, God in a body of flesh sat down by a well and asked a woman for a drink of water because he was thirsty. Come on. Genesis to Malachi, you show me where God was thirsty. I can show you plenty of places where men were thirsty and begged God for water. But they weren't asking a God who knew what it was like to have dry and parched lips. Your God knows. In John chapter 4, a great storm arose at sea. And God, manifest in the flesh, was in the back of the ship, asleep on a pillow. You know what the Old Testament says? The Most High God, He neither slumbers nor sleeps. When did God ever get tired? When did God ever need rest? You know, Jesus said to His disciples, "Come apart and rest a while." You ever get tired, weary from the journey, worn out with the day? Job's God, I, I'm, I'm just—I'm in line with the Bible. Job's God didn't know how you feel. You're a great high priest. He knows exactly how you feel. He's been there. He's been lied about. He's been spit on. He's been betrayed. He's taken a nap. He's been thirsty. He's been hungry. That's interesting. It's interesting. Look in Joe and uh, Joe. He, look at Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter number four. Well, if nothing else, you'll have something to think about tonight. Hebrews chapter 4 verse number 14 Seeing then that we have a great high priest Is that true? You believe that? Amen. That is passed into the heavens. Now, 1 Timothy 3:16, he's manifest in the flesh, just find the spirit, seen of angels, Believed on the world. uh, Preached on the Gentiles. Believed on the world. Received up into glory. When he's received up into glory, he he goes up as what? As our great high priest. Okay? He's passed into the heavens. Our great high priest. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched. Alright, boys and girls, let's have a little English. We have not which cannot, that's a double, which makes a... So what he just said was, we do have a high priest that can be touched. Job said, I don't have anybody down here that can lay his hand on God and lay his hand on me. I don't have anyone up there that I can touch. You do. You do. Watch this. Touched with the feelings, with a feeling, with a feeling of our infirmities, not our sins, our infirmities. Is your body weak tonight? He's felt that. Is your body tired tonight? He's felt that. Are you sorrowful tonight? Are you sad tonight? Do you groan in spirit? Do you grieve in your heart? He has been there. It's incredible. You know, the Bible says, Isaiah 53, Surely He has borne our griefs. Now, we we were just, praise God, he, He bore all our sins to the cross. Yeah, but He did more than that. He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Man's pain has now touched God's heart. And now God can touch man's pain. That's incredible. Keep reading. The feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You know what Job said? I'm afraid of him. I'm afraid of him. I can't come near him. Look at verse 16. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He never sinned, but He faced every temptation. I am not not suggesting for a moment that Jesus did sin, would have sinned, could have sinned. He said, the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. I'm I'm not saying that. But when David looked down and saw Bathsheba, when he, if he had gone to God and said, God, you've got to help me with this, God would have said, don't do it. If you go tonight to the Lord Jesus Christ in an hour of temptation, He can say, let me show you how I dealt with this. Let me show you how I kept from sinning. Let me show you how I said, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written, and stood in the face of that temptation and overcame it. I'm I'm not disrespecting God the Father. I'm not. It's one thing to give the commandments. It's another thing to come down here and carry them out. And He did that. He came down here and He took that temptation right in His face and that temptation right in His face and that temptation right in His face. So now when you are tempted, you can boldly come to somebody who was victorious in that and say, Lord, you've got to show me the way through this. I know you've been here. That's a blessing. Look back at chapter 2 just for a minute. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Verse number 17. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and a and, and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation with the sins of the people, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted. Now that's that's something you didn't get in Hebrews for. He's in all points tempted, but here it says, He suffered being tempted. He did not enjoy it. He did not enjoy it. The Bible says, The the Lord is of pure eyes than to behold iniquity. And He came down here. He came down here. Listen, I know He helped people. I know He loved people. I know He ministered to people. But it could not have pleased the Lord to have to spend any time with somebody as, as defiled as Judas. Think of the cussing that he had to listen to and the, and the, and the vile added conduct that he had to look at and the and the immodesty and the immorality and the wickedness. Look, everything that God, look, he's up there in heaven and he's dwelling in the light and, and it's holy, 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 Lord God, all mightiness, praise and joy and worship and song. And he leaves that. Why? His earliest childhood memory was of Rachel weeping for her children. As Herod's army moved in, began to kill all the male babies two years old and under, as Joseph and Mary and Jesus flee the country and head to Egypt. It's a bad world. Now, I don't know how bad it looks from the other side of the universe as God looks down upon it. But He suffered being tempted. You know, let's be, let's be fair and honest about it. The reason we find it so hard to keep from sinning, sin has a certain appeal to us. The reason we struggle so with temptation is a lot of those things we wish we could do. We don't do them because we know God says they're wrong. We don't do them because we know there's, there's consequences, but come on, no, you know, if there's no punishment, if it's okay, let's. I'm just, I'm just being fair with you. The flesh lusts against the Spirit. But if you had no sin nature and transgression and wickedness was an offense to you, do you realize how you'd suffer walking through a world like this? I don't like hearing people take the Lord's name in vain. What if you were the Lord? He suffered, but finish the verse. Friend, in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. I like this. Chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, Job's sitting there. God never shows up. 5, 6, 7, 8, Job's sitting there. God never shows up. 9 through 29, Job's sitting there. God never shows up. By Chapter 38, God finally shows up. And you know what he does? He says, well, answer this, big boy. What do you got to say about that, big boy? You think you're better than I am? Huh? Who you speak against? You read those chapters. When God does finally show up, he just says, Job, how dare you question me? You better shut your mouth. And then, blesses him, disappears back into heaven. You know what the word succor means? It means to run to the aid of one in need. See these little children around here? Just the little ones. If one of them slips and falls out there in that parking lot, mother runs to the aid of that little child. Isn't that something? Your little baby gets a fever, laying in that bed all hot and, and burning up, and you come in there, and that three-year-old so precious to you, and you're mopping the brow and trying to cool that baby and. You don't walk in there and say, that's what sin does. <laughs> the wage is a sin, kid. You better learn it fast. <laughs> you know what mother does? She succors. That she runs to help in every way she can. You know what you had for 4,000 years? That's just, it's just how it was. Trouble would come and God would say, That's what sin does! You better stop sinning! But He came in a body of flesh. And He suffered the temptation. And He suffered man's wickedness. And He, and he, and he hungered and He thirsted and He slept. And He was bruised and He was beaten and He wept. And He was hurt and that He feared. And Now that He knows what you're going through... And now that he knows how you feel, he runs, he runs to bring you assistance. That's an amazing thing. That's an amazing thing. First Timothy two and back to Job nine. First Timothy chapter two, and then back to Job nine. Do you, do you agree with me? Do you believe that God was manifest in the flesh? Do you believe that after His earthly life ran its course, that He was received up into glory, that He ascended back to heaven? Okay? Now, at the right hand of the Father, He is God, the Son. We, we, we all agree on that. But look at 1 Timothy 2 and verse number 5. no. let's read verse 6 first who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Who's that? Is that Jesus Christ? All right, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, watch, the man, Christ Jesus. Right now in heaven is a mediator a go-between that represents both parties in the presence of the other party. And it, it doesn't say that mediator is Christ Jesus. The mediator is the man, Christ Jesus. Look, he didn't cease to be God when he came down here. And he didn't cease to be man when he went back up there. Look now, Job chapter nine. Job chapter nine. We'll read the verse. We'll get the picture, and I, I hope, I trust, you'll never forget the picture. Verse thirty-two, Job nine thirty-two. For he is not a man. You want you want to read that in light of First Timothy. For he is a man. Do you do you have a God who became a man? Amen. For He's not a man as I am, that I should answer Him, and we should come together in judgment. You know what Hebrews four said? Come boldly to the throne of grace. Let's talk about it. Come boldly to the throne of grace, and let me run to your aid. Verse thirty three. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us, look at it, that might lay His hand upon us both. Now let's go back to the cross. As men lift up the Lord Jesus Christ so that He can draw all men unto Him, There on Mount Calvary, God reaches out one hand and puts it upon man. And He reaches out another hand and puts it on God. And there for all of mankind is the daysman Job longed for. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And anyone may come to the Father by Me. And He said, The Father will give you by Me another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever. And in dwelling you is the Holy Spirit of God, who with prayers and intercessions and groanings that cannot be uttered, speaks on your behalf to God the Father, And then God the Father through His Son speaks to your heart, the person of the Holy Spirit. And you today, Job said, I wish I had somebody who could put his hand on God and put his hand on man and bring the two together. But it is not so with me. But tonight we can look at that cross and say, It is so with me. My God became man and God ministers to my every need through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I bring my every heartache, burden, and care to God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a real blessing. You know what a a daysman is? It's not a full-time job. It's a man who signs on to do a job, and when it's done, he's off the job. He's always the mediator. Only once was he the daysman. And when he had made a way for God and man to fellowship again, something they had not been able to do since the Garden of Eden, he said, Job, Job! It is finished. Your request has been granted. Next time you look at that cross, I want you to think about something. That is God on the cross triumphing over death that you might have life. But it's God who became man so He could put His hand on God and put His hand on you and bring the two of you together in and through the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Great is the mystery of godliness. Now, wasn't that kind of mysterious? There's some strange things we looked at tonight. But guess where we looked at them? In the Bible. In the Bible. God's word. He never stopped being God. And he has not stopped being man. And Jesus Christ restored what Adam lost. God's ability to fellowship with man and man's ability to fellowship with God. My independent Baptist friends, stop living like Old Testament Hebrews who have a God a million miles away, who showed up once and gave them some Scripture. He wants to walk with you, and talk with you, and minister to you, and bear your burdens, and be your very best friend in the world. Don't push Him back where He was before the cross. Let Him be a real, true, living God. Praise the Lord. All right, let's pray. Father.